see the power of Jesus in Luke chapter 4, the power and authority of Jesus. Turn to Luke chapter 4. We're going to be continuing in this series on, on Jesus in the book of Luke. So Luke 4.31. This is God's holy inspired word for us today. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. And they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever. And it left her and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them, would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent... For this purpose, and he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word reveals yourself to us. It reveals who you are, Lord, so that we can respond to you. God, I pray that would be the case this morning, that you would reveal yourself to our, our minds and to our hearts, Lord, that we might respond to you, that we might not just hear your word, but we would respond to your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. Enable this, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I was growing up, at first, at least probably until about 12 or so, I don't know the exact age, my parents were my primary source of authority, and I looked to them as an authority. I, I trusted them. I relied on them because they cared for me. They did things for me. They loved me. They showed their affections for me, and by default, I knew that I needed to obey them, and it was a, kind of an established fact. I was number four, so the other three had gone before, and so I knew that I needed to obey my parents, and, and I submitted to them as an authority, but somewhere along the way, when I began to think that I knew more than my parents, or at least began to question, do, I, do my parents really, do they really know everything? Do they really know what's best for me? Do they really want what's best for me? I began to question those things. And so I, I began to question their authority as well. And when I started to grow up, I, I wondered, you know, is this, do they really have authority over me? Should they have authority over me? And I think that's common in the Western world. It shouldn't be, but, but I think that's all too common of an experience. 
And I began to question what my parents knew. I began to question their decision-making. I began to question their authority. And my behavior, my response toward them changed. I don't know if you experienced that when you were younger. And then hopefully, as you got older, you realized, hey, they probably knew more than I thought they knew. And, and you began to look to them again. In military school, I remember that I had a lot of different authorities over me. I went to a military high school, and so in high school, there were student officers. And I, I, I responded to their authority kind of begrudgingly because I had to, because there was a hierarchy, and I knew there would be discipline if I didn't. But I didn't really respect them. I didn't really want to respond to their authority. It was just part of what you had to do. But there was a guy named Colonel Meath, and he was the commandant of students. And, and I respected his authority, and I responded to his authority differently because he was an experienced guy. He had seen he had seen action in Vietnam and he told stories of how he was a spotter flying these Cessnas low over the trees in Vietnam and so I I loved the stories he would tell and his bravery and he seemed to know a lot and he had these witty little aphorisms that he would share all the time and um, and he had authority. One of those aphorisms he used to say was you know Matt you don't catch all the fish but the fish you catch you fry and I and I remember and I I don't think I got it the first time I was a little slow um he wasn't talking about fish, but anyway, um, he had authority, and I responded to it because there was a respect, there was also a trust. I, I, I knew he was experienced. Um, all throughout my life, I've, I've had different authorities. We all are people under authority to some degree, and all throughout my career, I responded differently to different authorities, different bosses in, in my previous two careers, um, depending on how much I respected them, how much I trusted them, how much I thought they knew. Right? You ever have that experience? You have bosses, you're like, they don't know very much, but I have to respect them because they're an authority. But, but it's kind of begrudging, so it's not a willing giving of authority, of, a giving of, of respect to them. And then I had other bosses that, that, that knew a lot, but they were not very nice. And so I didn't respect them for that. And so the authority, the way I responded to the authority was different based on what I believed about them, whether I trusted them. What we're going to see in this passage is different responses to the authority of Jesus. And this passage is geared for us to see and believe things about Jesus. It's meant for us to believe some true things about Jesus. It's meant for us to believe that Jesus really has authority, but it's also meant for us to see that that he, he rightfully demands our authority and that it requires a response you know, looking back, I, I can see that, you know, sometimes we can recognize authority, but we don't like it. Sometimes we can recognize authority, but we don't trust them. Sometimes we can recognize authority, but respond passive-aggressively towards authority. And I can see that how I responded to authority, it, it revealed what I believed about them and how much I trusted them. The same is true in how we respond to Jesus. It reveals what do we believe about him. How do we view him and do we trust in him? And in this passage, it's really geared to get us to ask some questions. You know, how do you respond to Jesus' authority? That's a question we're meant to, to ponder, to think on as we're going through a passage like this. How, how do we respond? We see how these other responses to Jesus' authority turned out. How do we respond to Jesus' authority? But not only how we respond to his authority, do, to begin with, do you recognize Jesus' authority? Luke is really just showing us one day, it's a snapshot in the life of Jesus. Just one day in the life of Jesus, this entire passage, just one day. But it's meant to get us to see something. It's meant to get us to see that Jesus has authority. And at every turn, there's some kind of response to his authority. 
And I think the main point that God would have us to see really is that the authority of Jesus, it demands a response. It demands a response. The authority of Jesus demands a response. And that's not just true for the people in this passage. It's true for you and I. The authority of Jesus demands a response. You can choose to submit to him. You can choose to respond willingly to his authority. You can choose to trust his authority. Or you can choose to reject it. But either way, he still has authority. And in the end, his authority will have the final word. The authority of Jesus demands a response. In this passage, what we, we see is that Jesus here, he's, he's left his hometown of Nazareth. If you remember the last, last week's passage, he left Nazareth. They rejected him. They didn't recognize his authority. They didn't receive his authority. They, didn't re- they responded badly. They tried to reject him, and he leaves. But now he comes to Capernaum, this little city by the Sea of Galilee, um, where Peter has made his home, where um, like five of the disciples at least are living at the time, and, and he's basing a lot of his ministry out of here. And, and Luke is giving us this snapshot, and he gives us kind of three views of the authority of Jesus. And the first view that we have of Jesus' authority is that Jesus has authority in his teaching. He does what he always does. He goes into the synagogue, and on the Sabbath day, he teaches. And when he taught, he wasn't like their normal teachers. He it says, look in your Bibles, it says, they were astonished at his teaching. You know, their normal rabbis, they would, they would either tell stories or they would quote the previous teachers. They wouldn't have anything original to say, but Jesus, here, he is teaching his own word with authority, and they were astonished. And it tells us that. It says, for his word, which is the same word that actually John will use later to describe Jesus, the logos, his word possessed authority. He didn't say that they were struck with amazement at the cleverness of Jesus or his great illustrations or, man, he told some great jokes, which I think that actually personally, I think Jesus probably told the best jokes. I do. I mean, he, he created humor. He created us with emotion. He was, he was brilliant. He, he understood the human condition. But, but they weren't amazed with, with all of those ancillary things. What they were amazed with was that he taught with authority. His word had weight. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever, have you ever sat under the teaching of God's word and, and it possessed authority and it captivated you? I remember the very first time that, that uh, somewhere around 1993 or so, so I don't know how many years ago, 20, 30, whatever, 30 years ago was that? Oh my goodness, that's a long time ago. 31 years ago, I got to hear a guy who was probably my age at the time named R.C. Sproul and uh, I remember he was teaching on the holiness of God from Isaiah 6. And he wasn't like the most brilliant speaker. He didn't give any, any funny jokes. He didn't tell any great illustrations. But I was really struck by the authority of God's word as he unpacked God's word. And it laid claim. It laid claim to me because I saw that God really is holy. And when I saw his holiness, I also saw something else. I saw that I'm not holy, and that his word has authority over me, and it calls me to be holy, something I can't be on my own, and yet Jesus came so that I could be holy, and it made me worship and, and, and want to respond to him because of the grace of God. It is that, that power of Jesus' word had authority, and it has authority. Have you, have you ever experienced that? Do you experience that? The people in, in the synagogue on that day, in Jesus' day, they, 
they recognized and they responded to the authority of Jesus' words. And I wonder sometimes when we hear God's word taught, when we open up our Bibles, do we approach it as an authority? Do we see that his word is an authority in our lives? Do we, do we recognize that? And so do we respond and submit to his word? They recognize his authority, and then they actually respond. They're amazed. And they go, later on, they're going to go and tell everybody about Jesus. I wonder what it would look like if we regularly responded with astonishment that Jesus' word has authority and we allowed it to have authority in our own lives. I think it'd be seen in how we respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Do we respond when he brings us conviction? I think it's going to be seen as, do we seek to respond to God's word? Do we, do we examine ourselves as we read his word? Do we submit to his word? You know, sometimes I think we don't experience the authority of Jesus' word because we actually don't hear it very often. Sometimes I think we, we, we allow so many other voices into our lives. Do we place ourselves under his word, not just on Sunday, but each and every day? Do we place ourselves under his word so we can hear his word? Are you, are you listening for him to speak to you through his word? Are you praying over his word as you're reading the Bible? You know, so often our minds are filled with so many other things, with entertainment, with mindless distractions, with news, with busyness. We don't have time to listen to and consider his word. Sometimes I think we need to ask ourselves, you know, are our devices, are our phones, are they more precious to us than his word? What would trouble us more being separated from our devices or being separated from God's word? When we place ourselves under his word, we will encounter his authority because his word, his teaching has authority. But what do we do with it? Just, do we just read it like a self-help book or do we allow it to have authority in our lives? Do we submit to it? Do we live under his authority? Well, see, the, the, the authority of Jesus, it provoked a response, not just in the people, but it also provoked a response in, in the spiritual world as well because there is a spiritual world that we are a part of. Whether you see it or not, there are forces that are at play that are seeking to keep people in darkness, and his word penetrates the darkness, and it breaks the powers of darkness. And so there is a clash when the authority of Jesus comes into contact with the world. And even in the church, in the church, in the synagogue, is where this happens. Jesus is preaching. Jesus is teaching. And if this can happen when Jesus is teaching, by the way, I think it probably can happen with other people do too. And what we see is that Jesus here, though, he has authority not just in his teaching, but he has authority over all demons. Jesus has authority over demons. He's preaching. I can just imagine the response. Can you imagine that right now? Just think about that. You know, ours is Sunday morning, theirs is Saturday morning, the Sabbath, the synagogue, but church, we're all gathering together, you're hearing preaching, and then all of a sudden, this, this man, he gets up and he cries out and he goes, Oh, what do you have to do with us? And he screams. I'm guessing it got pretty quiet. People probably got a little wigged out. Probably the hair on the back of their neck stood up. They got goosebumps. They're like, Oh my gosh, what's happening here? This is weird. But you see what happened is the demon recognized the authority of Jesus. His own people didn't recognize him in Nazareth, but, but this demon recognized who Jesus really was. And in the response, though, of the demon, it's, it's more in to see that the, the demon knew that Jesus had authority over him. He was scared. The demon was scared. That's what the forces of evil tremble at the authority of Jesus. We have nothing to fear, by the way. 
The forces of evil tremble at the authority of Jesus. And this, this demon, he was terrified, and he cries out with this loud noise, this loud voice, and, and he was disruptive, though, in the middle of the teaching. I think that's one of the reasons Jesus told him to be quiet. But, you know, often I think uh, I've experienced that in, in, in ministry at times at, in various settings that when you're teaching and proclaiming God's word, there will be disruptions. Sometimes they're subtle. Sometimes they're really big. And often those disruptions, I'm not talking about crying babies, by the way. Um, we love that. We love that babies are here, by the way. They're always welcome. It's never disruption. We're good. Um, but I'm, I, I remember I had a small group once on a campus at George Mason, and there was this, this girl that came in, and, and she was... I believe demon-possessed, and she came in, and, and she came into the meeting. She would just ask distracting questions and take us off track the whole time, and, and then she would kind of speak up and be disruptive, and I realized something else is going on here. There is a battle going on. Well, this time, this demon recognized that Jesus had power and authority. And look at the question he says, you know, like, what do you, what do you want with us? And he says, have you come to destroy us? Because the demon knew that Jesus had the ability to destroy him. The demon knew that Jesus had power over him. And then he declares something. He says, I know that you are the Holy One of God. That's striking because the people in Nazareth did not know. But even the demons knew. But the reality is that, that knowing alone is not enough. I think we're meant to see that too. That, that knowing and seeing who Jesus is and even recognizing and admitting who Jesus is, that's not enough. This is a demon. He, didn't, he, he believed, but he did not trust in Jesus. He was afraid of Jesus. He was afraid to be punished by him. But just believing the truth about Jesus isn't enough. Well, he yells and Jesus rebukes him. And he, he didn't do any weird incantations. They used to have all these weird things that they would do to try to exercise demons in that day. And I think there's still many rituals today for different backgrounds and churches. They try to do all these different rituals. But Jesus, he has so much authority, he just rebukes him with a word and he says, be silent, come out. Which is a word. And this demon comes out of the man. And, and I think the demon was not just saying he come to destroy us, meaning the demons, but he meant the person too because demons often cause damage and yet the power and authority of Jesus is absolute because it preserved the person even that he cast the demon out of and the guy falls on the ground but he's completely unharmed. I think accounts like this are meant to see that we can trust in Jesus, that he has power over evil. Darkness can't stand his word. It drives demons crazy. The forces of evil recognize and must obey, must submit to Jesus' authority. You don't need to fear any kind of darkness in the world. You don't need to fear any kind of demonic work. Jesus can cast him out with a word. Sometimes I think we live in fear of the world. Sometimes we live in fear of darkness and the forces behind the world and and we kind of tremble at that and we don't need to tremble we we can live trusting in the authority of Jesus his power over all the darkness but did you notice what the takeaway is here look down in verse 36 look down in verse 36 they were, it says they were amazed and they said to one another they didn't say whoa that's really cool they said what is this word they were impressed because they knew that Jesus' word is what carried authority. What is this word? What is this logos? What is this word? Because with authority and, and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they go out. What is this word, this one who has all authority? 
They recognized that his word was what was important. His, his words possess authority. When he spoke, it's powerful. And his, his word still has the same power to transform lives, to set people free, to dispel darkness. And it says reports about him, about his word. They went out into every place in the whole surrounding region. They told everybody they knew about it. And then I can imagine, you know, they're done with that and everybody's kind of talking about him. They're all spreading the word about him. And, and Peter's like, hey, man, why don't you come back to my house for, for lunch? And so they do. They go back to Peter's house for lunch. And the problem is, is that when they get there, there may not have been lunch right away because Peter's mother-in-law, she was sick. And, and I, divinely, I think that was arranged so that we could see, really, that, that Jesus, he doesn't just have authority in his teaching and he has authority over demons. He has authority over all diseases. And that's what we're going to see in the rest of the passage. Jesus has authority over, over all diseases. He goes back there, and she's sick with this high fever. And that word for high fever is, is kind of a, a technical word that, that Luke, he was a physician, and, and, and physicians in that day would have used a special term for a fever that's so high that it's concerning, it's most likely going to lead to death if, if something doesn't happen. And they make an appeal to him because they know his word has authority. They respond to him. They look to him to do something. They look to him to bring his authority to bear, not just in teaching, not just in delivering from demons, but, but in their physical lives as well. And so they appeal to him, would you please do something about my mother-in-law? And look at verse 39. He says, he stood over her and rebuked the fever. He stood over her and rebuked the fever. And I, I love that he stands over her because he kind of stands over sickness and disease. He has authority over sickness. He has authority over disease. But he's not distant. He's standing over her and he speaks a word. He speaks a word of rebuke to her physical ailments. And when he rebukes the fever, it, it automatically leaves. His authority is absolute. His power is absolute. There's an immediate response in both cases. An immediate response, the demon leaves. An immediate response, the illness leaves. Jesus has absolute, unmitigated authority. And, and then I love her response. As soon as she's healed, she immediately gets up and serves. I think that's how we're supposed to respond to Jesus when he heals us, when not just physically, but when he heals us from our sins, when he sets us free from darkness and, and, and despair and he forgives us. We're meant to respond to him in gratitude and serve him. And so that's what she does. She gets up and she serves. He sets us free and, and, and she responds by serving. And I can imagine the meal was pretty fun after that. And they hung out the rest of the afternoon. But when evening came, when the Sabbath was over, and you're wondering, why did Luke include that detail? Because they weren't allowed to do any work on the Sabbath. They couldn't carry things. They couldn't travel distances. But as soon as the sun set, the Sabbath was over. And as soon as the sun set, um, all of a sudden there's this knock at the door. And they're like, who could that be? And it's the whole town. The whole town has showed up because of the authority of his word. They probably didn't even know about him healing Peter's mom, but they knew his word had authority. They responded to his word, and they brought everybody that they had. It says, look, look down in your Bibles. In verse 40, it says, All those who had any who were sick with various diseases, I don't know if it was broken legs, the flu, um, whatever their version of COVID was back then, I mean, they, they brought all their diseases 
And, and I love this. He chose to do something different. And with Peter's mom, he spoke over her. With these people, he demonstrates his nearness and his compassion. And it's probably like the whole town full of people because um, in a town like that, there wasn't medical care. There weren't hospitals and doctors and people had illnesses and everybody you knew in some family probably has some kind of illness. But he says, he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. He didn't have to do that. He could have just spoken to the whole crowd and immediately healed them. Why did he do that? I think he wanted them to see that he cares. They wanted him to experience his his compassionate touch. They wanted him to, them to experience his nearness. Just like, you know, the first thing I do when I see my kids in the morning is as I greet them and I hug them. I want them to know I love them. I want them to experience my nearness. Jesus is doing something similar. He wants them to know that he is not a distant, authoritative God. He is a personal, close, compassionate, loving, merciful God. His authority is not mean, it is not distant. His authority is full of kindness and compassion and care. He lays his hands on every one of them. And as he does that, it provokes a response from both people and demons. It says as he was healing people, demons came out of a lot of people there too. I think sometimes we downplay that there is demonic activity involved in this world. And there continues to be. It's not like that stopped. And, and when he's praying over people, demons came out of a lot of those people too. He says, you're the son of God. And he does the same thing. He rebukes them. And I think one of the reasons why he rebukes them, they knew he was the Christ, but he didn't want that confession being believed because it came from the mouths of demons. He wanted them to see his authority and respond to his authority without trusting in the words of demons. And so he silences them too. doesn't allow them to speak. But sometimes I think we write off the causes of illnesses. You know, he says, some of you are sick because you haven't confessed sin, is what James tells us. Some of you are sick because there's some demonic activity involved. And sometimes, I think we even look at mental illnesses and we say, you know what, um, they're, they're just, it's just a, a matter of the brain. But, I, you know, I think sometimes there's evil influences at work. Here's the good news, though. Jesus has authority over all of it. He's able to heal and deliver. And the picture we have from Luke is that Jesus used his authority to minister personally laying his hands on everybody all night long as soon as the sun set until daybreak he must have been absolutely whipped he must have been so tired can you imagine laying hands on him praying for people i mean you've already been up all day anyway you went to church you hung out you thought you were gonna get you know to go to sleep when it when it's dark but no from nighttime until morning you're ministering laying hands and jesus he is showing his mercy his compassion his giving of himself and he ministers to the people all night long until daybreak and finally when it's daybreak probably when he's ministered to everybody he goes and he's like i gotta i gotta go somewhere and he goes to a desolate place, a place where we can get alone and rest probably. But the people came and they still sought him. And they, and they, they would have kept him from leaving, it says. But the people, they didn't want him to leave because they knew he had authority. They wanted him to stay. And, and there's, a, there's a goodness in that. They're not just being selfish. They see that what they need is the authority of Jesus in their lives. Do you see that? Do you recognize that? Do you have that same posture to Jesus? You're like, Jesus, I can't get enough of you. I want you to stay. I want to I experience your authority in every area of my life. Now, he wasn't able to do because he 
That was just one town among many that he had to go to. And he, and he tells them, and he says, I can't stay because I have to preach the good news. And look at what he says the good news is. You would think it's the good news of Jesus came to set you free. Well, yes it is, but what does he say the good news he, he must preach? Look down your Bibles in verse 43. The good news is of the kingdom of God. Do you think of God's kingdom, of his rule, of his reign, of his authority? You see, the kingdom of God, it's, it's the news that, that Jesus has given, given all power and all authority. That Jesus came to break the power of sin. He came to, to break the kingdom of darkness. He, he broke into the kingdom of darkness and he came to dispel darkness, dispel the kingdom of this world, and bring his kingdom, his rule, his reign on earth. And that's good news. Why? Because otherwise we would be trapped in darkness. We'd be trapped in the kingdom of this world. We'd be trapped in the kingdom of Satan. And it's good news that Jesus would come and say, no, I have all authority. And I'm going I'm to proclaim this good news of the kingdom. That I've come to make all things right, to undo what Adam did and brought the kingdom of this world, brought the kingdom of darkness. I came to undo that. I came to bring the kingdom of God so that you can now live under the good reign and rule of God, not under the reign and rule of Satan, the reign and rule of self, thinking that somehow it's good that we live autonomously from God. No, that's the very worst thing we could ever have. The best thing for us is actually to live under God's good authority. The best thing for our lives is actually for us to live in submission to his authority, for in submission to his word, because that's the, that's the goodness that he created us for. And so he says, I'm, I'm coming to bring the good news to the kingdom. That's the very purpose that he was sent for, and everywhere he went, he came proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, the rule and reign of God. And that's a theme all throughout Luke. Luke, in fact, mentions 44 times throughout Luke and Acts, he mentions the kingdom of God, and the message is the kingdom of God that is preached. That's the gospel, the, the good news, the evangelion, the evangelizing that Jesus is doing here. He's evangelizing that, no, you don't have to live in submission to the kingdom of this world. You don't have to live in submission to the kingdom of darkness. No, you can be set free because you can receive the kingdom of God. That's good news. His disciples were sent to proclaim the kingdom of God. In Luke 9, he sends them out to proclaim the kingdom. In Luke 11, he taught your disciples to pray. He taught us to pray. He says, Lord, let your kingdom come. That's the best thing for this world. It's the best thing for us and for our lives is that his rule, his reign, would be seen in our daily lives, that we would submit to his authority. We're to pray that way. Lord, would we submit to your authority in our lives? Because that is good for us. It's a compassionate, good authority. It's authority that sets us free. That's what we're to pray for. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, and, and we're told to pray that way. He told his disciples, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to put on, and, and what you're gonna, what's going to be over your head, the roof of your heads. Don't worry about any of those things. In Luke 12, he told them, he says, because seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. He tells them, you know, don't be afraid, little flock, because... because your Father has chosen gladly to give you his kingdom. You don't have to be relegated by seeking all the things of this world. No, good news. Jesus, God, has come to give you his kingdom. Riches without end. Glory in him without end. Jesus, when he instituted the Lord's Supper, 
He told us, he says, for I say to you that I, I won't drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until what? Until the kingdom of God, until it fully comes. Can't wait for that day when his authority, when his rule and his reign will be established over all of the earth. Meanwhile, the question for all of us is, do we respond to his kingdom? How do we respond to his authority? Do we submit to his authority? Do we want that in our lives? Are we seeking that in our lives? Are we, are we praying, Lord, your kingdom come? Because one day he says, he told them in Luke 22, he says, he says, my father has granted me a kingdom and just like that, I grant you. Don't seek the lower things of this world. Don't seek the kingdoms of this world. No. He's granted us a kingdom. The kingdom of our God and Father. A kingdom that will never pass away. And we're to live for that kingdom now. Live for that rule and reign now. It's the same thing the apostles preached. That's what Philip preached. He was preaching the good news. It says in Acts 8, 12, he says he's preaching the good news about the kingdom of God. And at the very end of Acts, Acts ends... And it says in Acts 28, 31, they were preaching what? The kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered because that is good news. It is good for us to recognize and see his authority and to live under his authority. Good news is that Jesus has broken into a world that was ruled by darkness, that was ruled by evil. He's come to break the power of darkness. He's come to set people free from their chains. And it's good news because he brings all who trust in him, all who submit to his authority into his glorious kingdom. He has all authority in heaven and in earth. And he's transformed us so that God can now transform our thinking so that it's ruled by him. He can transform our desires so that they're ruled by him. You know that the problem with our thinking is that our thinking is not in submission to him. When we conform our thinking to submission to him, things go well we conform our desires to his desires. Boy, we live in a way that's best for us. And the good news is all those who are in his kingdom, they, they're being transformed day by day to look more like our king. That's really good news. Is the good news of the kingdom and the authority of Jesus good news to you? Do you live under the authority that he proclaims? Do you put yourself in the authority of his word? In all three of these cases, by the way, in his teaching, in his power over demons, power over sickness, all three of those, it's, it demonstrates that his, his power is in his word. Do you put yourself under the authority of God's word? Do you live that way? Do you believe that he has authority over evil? Do you believe that he has authority over sickness? Do you trust in him? And do you trust in him to carry out healing on, in the way that he best sees fit? He doesn't always heal everyone. That's not what this passage is telling us. He did this to demonstrate his authority, and he still continues to heal. He doesn't always heal everyone because sometimes what's more important is that we grow in character and likeness of him, and sometimes he uses bad things to help us be more like him because that's really the greater good because he always has our best in mind. Do we trust in that? Do we submit to him? Do we trust and rest in his authority and his goodness, his compassion? After this, he goes and he, he preaches in all the other synagogues of Judea. He's taking the good news of the kingdom everywhere else. And he calls his disciples to do the same. But before we do that, we have to see that the authority of Jesus, the kingdom of Jesus is good news for us. Do you see it as good news? 
Do you revel in it? Do you live that way? Do you live your life fearful? If so, you're not seeing that he has authority over all things. You're not seeing his word as power. You're not seeing his word as power to set you free from, from, from negative thoughts, to set you free from being stuck in your OCD or whatever else it is you're stuck in. You don't see his word as power to transform your actual brain, the way you think and the way you act, the way you feel. His word has power and authority. Do you live that way? Do you live trusting in him, resting in him, with faith in him? That's what this is meant to provoke. Do you see that it's good to live under his authority? It's not good to want our own way. Actually, that always and only turns out bad for us. But boy, it's good to live with him day by day under the authority of his word, allowing his word to transform us, to renew us, to make us alive, to set us free. And we get to proclaim this good news, just like Jesus did. We get to go about proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Let's respond to his authority today. If there's any area in your life where you're struggling, ask yourself, is, am, I, am I believing Jesus' authority in this area? Am I responding to his authority? Is there an area where I've been convicted and I'm just kind of ignoring Jesus' authority? Where do I need to submit to his authority? Where do I need to, to conform my thinking to his? Where do I need to be transformed by renewing my mind? Where can I respond to his authority? And then are we declaring that? Because that's the good news the world needs. The good, the good news is the kingdom of God. The world needs to hear that. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have given all authority in heaven and earth to Jesus. Jesus, thank you that we can trust you because you are good and you are merciful. You are not just powerful and distant. You are close and personal. You care. You're compassionate. You love us. Thank you that you want us to live under the goodness of your rule, your reign, your kingdom. And I pray that we would. That, Lord, each and every day we would submit ourselves to you, that we would receive from you, we would trust in you. And, Lord, help us see the joy that comes from living in your kingdom. Lord, let us declare your joy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.